morning, everyone. Uh, today is uh, the 14th of uh, August, 2012. And we are on our fourth day of the retreat, body and mind, one. We know that uh, everyone can be fresh and beautiful. The problem is how to help uh, the freshness and the beauty come out. If you believe uh, that you do not have freshness and beauty, you are wrong. Freshness and beauty are in you. And if you know how to breathe, how to smile, how to walk, you can bring freshness and beauty out. And when we come to a retreat, well, we have to learn how to do it. There are times when we believe that there is no freshness, uh, there is no beauty in us, but that's not true if we practice for a few minutes and then freshness and beauty come out again. Even when you grow old, you can still be fresh and beautiful also. So when you see someone who, who is not fresh and uh, beautiful, you might like to help him or her to be fresh and beautiful again. The other boy is angry, violent, not pleasant at all. But you know that in him, there is also freshness and beauty. So next time when you see a boy or a girl who is full of anger and violence, you should look again. You should tell yourself that there is a freshness and beauty in him, but he does not know how to bring it out. And if you believe that that boy, that girl, only has uh, anger, violence in him or in her, you are wrong, because that boy, that girl, has also freshness and beauty inside. And again, but you don't 
There is a Buddha inside of every one of us. We have to learn how to breathe, how to smile, how to walk in such a way that the Buddha in us has a chance to come out. In Plum Village, uh, every time you meet someone uh, on your way, you join your palm and you bow to him or to her uh, uh, with respect because you know that in him or in her there is a Buddha inside. Even if that person does not look like a Buddha, but uh, there is a Buddha in him or in her. And if you know how to bow to him with respect and freshness, you can help the Buddha in him or in her to come out. But to run your palm and to bow like this is not uh, a ritual. That is a practice. Why you bring your hands up? You have to breathe in mindfully. And you have to visualize that your two hands are forming a flower, a lotus flower. I repeat, why you bring your hands up, you have to see that you are forming a lotus flower with your two palms and at that time you are breathing in mindfully. And you have the intention to offer these beautiful flowers to the person in front of you. And if you do it with respect, with mindfulness, and then you will be able to help touch the Buddha in him or in her. And in yourself, there may be a sentence coming up, and that sentence is, uh, this is uh, a lotus for you, written in.
And when you breathe out, you bow like this, and you, you say suddenly, you who, who are a Buddha to become. And if you are very mindful, respectful, and then you can help bring the Buddha in him or in her out. Um, in uh, Plum Village, every time uh, you meet a person on your path, that is the way you greet him, you salute him, a lotus for you, a Buddha to be. But when you when you do that, uh, there should be something inside of you, not just the the movement, the appearance. You have to remember that you are forming a lotus flower. And this lotus flower is to offer to the person in front of you. And when you bow, you really, uh, uh, you really believe that there is a Buddha, there is a freshness and beauty in him or in her. In many countries like India, Thailand, when we meet each other, we don't shake, shake hands like in the West. And in many thousand years, uh, when we meet each other, we only do like this. <laughs> About 160 years ago, the French came to Vietnam and they taught us how to shake hands. In the beginning, we thought that it's uh, funny to shake hands like that. <laughs> but we learned quite quickly, and now everyone knows how to shake hands. <laughs> but we still like uh, to do this strictly in the temple. And when the Prime Minister of India, of Thailand, meet a guest come from in from a foreign country, they always bow like this. I don't recommend uh, you to do that when you go back to school. <laughs> 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 
ได้ไม่ไม่ฟันออกอยู่ you can do it here in this retreat but uh, when you go back to school maybe you should not do it but I do recommend one thing that uh, every time you see a boy or a girl who is very angry very violent don't react like a way Uh, look at him or her for a few minutes. Breathe in, and tell yourself that in that boy, in that girl, there is also freshness and beauty. And he or she does not know how to handle the anger, the violence in him or in her. But you who have come to a retreat, you should know how to handle violence and anger every time they manifest in you. Every time you feel angry, violent, you should uh, go back to your breath and breathe in mindfully, calmly, in order to help uh, bring down that violence and and that anger. And in one minute or two, you you become fresh and beautiful again. So, so that is what I recommend you to do when you see something, you hear something not pleasant, and if you feel anger and violence coming up, you have to breathe and smile for one minute or two in order to not to lose your beauty, not to lose uh, your freshness. The other boy, the other girl, they don't know how to do that. And you may like to help him or her. Because uh, even they pro- provoke you, you are not angry, you are not violent, you are still smiling. And one day they will ask you, how can you do that? How can you 
stay calm and and uh, gentle and fresh when someone provoke you like that. And you have a chance to to tell him, to tell her how you do it. You tell him, you tell her that you can do that because you know how to breathe mindfully, to smile mindfully, and to maintain your peace, your freshness, your beauty. And when you are fresh, when you are beautiful, when you are calm, you are like a flower and you offer that flower to him or to her. And yesterday we learned the first mantra, Darling, I'm here for you. A mantra is a magical formula that when you, pron- when you pronounce it, you can bring a miracle. A mantra can bring happiness right away to you and to the other person. And the first mantra you learn in this retreat is, uh, Darling, I am here for you. But if uh, you want the mantra to work, you have to breathe in mindfully first. And you have to become fresh and beautiful first before you pronounce the mantra. Otherwise, the mantra will not work. And you know, the other person doesn't have to be in front of you for you to pronounce, to practice the first mantra. The other person may be at home or in the office, and you can use your telephone in order to practice the first mantra. You hold the telephone in your left hand, and you breathe in and out for a few times, to be sure that you have freshness and beauty. And after you compose the number uh, and you hear the telephone bell ringing, you continue to breathe in, calming, breathe out, smiling. Mm-hmm. 
And when the other person uh, pick up the phone and answer, you say, hello, do you know something? And then you say, darling, or mommy, or daddy, I'm here for you. And your voice carries within itself your beauty and your freshness. The way you pronounce the mantra tell us that you have freshness and beauty. And then you don't need an answer. You are happy and the other person is happy at the same time. And if uh, you have a computer, you can send an email. You can practice the, the first mantra in the form of an email. And you don't have to practice the mantra in, in Sanskrit or in Tibetan. Just practice it in Dutch. The first mantra is to offer your freshness and your beauty to the person you love. And today we we learn another mantra, the second mantra. The first mantra is uh, to offer the other person your presence. Your presence that is fresh and beautiful. The second mantra is to recognize the presence of the other person as something very important for you. And in order to practice the second mantra, you have to do the same. It means you have to breathe in and out to be there, fresh and beautiful, before you can pronounce the second mantra. The second mantra is, Darling, I know you are there, and I am very happy. Imagine the other person is not there. He is dead. He is uh, in the hospital. He is dying. You suffer. But now he is still alive. He is still healthy. So you are very lucky. That is why you have to 
to practice the second mantra. The second mantra is to recognize the presence of the person you love. And uh, you say that uh, his presence or her presence is so important for you, so precious to you. When when someone say that he loves you, but he ignore your presence, he do, he does not. It does not seem that he he pay attention to your presence. Uh, you don't have the feeling that you are loved. So that is why when you love someone, you have to to recognize to recognize his or her presence as something so precious to you. And uh, that is why this mantra should be practiced several times a day. Darling, I know you are there, alive, and that makes me very happy. You can go to him, to her, and look into his eyes, smiling and pronounce the mantra. Before you go to school, you can do that to your mom or your dad. And you have, if you have a chance to telephone home, you can practice the second mantra. Uh, in the evening, uh, during uh, dinner time, you can look up and smile and pronounce the second mantra. And you can also use your computer to send an email, your telephone to send an email. And uh, the first and the second mantra can be practiced several times a day. And I guarantee that that these two mantras always work. (coughs) 
you don't have to practice uh, five years in order to see uh, the effect of the practice. The mantras can make you and the other person happy right away. Right away, it's quicker than instant coffee. <laughs> but uh, remember one thing: a mantra can only be practiced successfully if you if you know how to breathe and smile mindfully. Okay, uh, that is good enough for today. When you hear the small bell, please stand up and make a flowers with your two hands and offer that to the Sangha before you go out. A flowers for you. You are all Buddhas to be. Have a good day. I remember that um, in a in a retreat uh, organized in uh, Oldenburg, uh, a number of uh, gentlemen came and reported uh, to me that uh, using their telephone they could uh, they had uh, been able to to reconcile with their fathers One gentleman said, uh, thầy, Dear Thầy, um, in the beginning of the retreat, I could never believe that I can talk to my father that way, using loving speech. I was so angry at him, I could never be imagined that I can tell him things like, Daddy, I know you have suffered a lot during the past many years, I'm sorry. I could never believe that I can say that. But after four days of uh, practice, uh, the situation has changed. Mm-hmm. 
I could recognize the suffering in me and I could see the suffering in my father. And that is why when last night when I uh, telephoned him and hear his voice at the other end of the line, I found myself capable of using that kind of uh, loving speech. And it came naturally. It didn't seem that I had to make a special effort in order to, to practice loving speech. And uh, he opened his heart right away and he told me about uh, his suffering, his difficulties. In order to, uh, to succeed in uh, restoring communication, we have to learn to train ourselves in the art of um, uh, deep listening, compassionate listening. We know that uh, if we are able to listen to the other person with compassion, we can help him, we can help her to suffer less after one hour of listening. But we have to train ourselves uh, a little bit before we, we put it into practice. The practice is called uh, mindfulness of uh, compassion. During the time of listening, you have to keep your compassion alive. Because uh, during the time you listen to the other person, he or she may say things that can touch off irritation and anger in you. And if uh, irritation, anger arise, you lose your capacity of listening. That is why we have to practice so that uh, during the whole time listening, uh, compassion should remain in our heart. If uh, we can maintain our compassion alive, and then anger, uh, irritation will, will not be able to come up. And also, maybe the way to 
And uh, the practice is to remind ourselves that um, I listen to him or to her um, just uh, for for uh, one purpose to help him or her suffer less. So even if uh, what he say is full of um, wrong perceptions, or bitterness, or accusation, uh, I still continue to listen. My, pur- My purpose in listening is not to correct him but to allow him a chance to empty his heart so that he suffer less. He might be uh, uh, bitter, he might be accusing, he might be full of uh, wrong, perceptions, wrong information. But that does not prevent me from listening to him or to her. If he is um, misinformed and then um, later on in two or three days I will have a chance to give him the kind of information that he needs in order to correct his perception, but not now. Now, I just listen, even if uh, he says wrong things. And that is uh, the practice of uh, mindfulness, of compassion, that keeps uh, you uh, uh, listening with uh, uh, deeply. If uh, the quality of listening is not uh, good enough, we may ask uh, um, to continue uh, on another day. Don't try too hard. Mm-hmm.
and uh, during that time we listen we don't say anything especially we don't try to interrupt the other person if uh, we try to interrupt him or her or correct him or her we will transform the session into a debate and it win you win everything in in the past um, we used to sponsor groups of uh, Palestinians and Israelis to come to Plumlish in order to practice with us. And uh, both groups were full of uh, fear, anger, uh, mistrust. So during the first week, uh, we help uh, both groups to practice uh, breathing, smiling, uh, releasing tension. And touching the refreshing and healing elements uh, of nature. and listening to their own suffering. And uh, only in the second week that we, um, we uh, encourage uh, the practice of uh, deep listening and love and speech. The group uh, that is to speak was encouraged to use the kind of language that can help uh, the other's group uh, understand the suffering that they have uh, gone through, children and adults. You, you can tell the other group uh, uh, of every kind of suffering you have uh, undergone, but uh, you try to do it with a kind of language that helps the other person uh, receive all the information that you want to, to give. Just tell them how much you have suffered and try not to blame, to accuse. And for the group who is listening, we advise them to listen with compassion 
and if uh, they hear uh, something wrong, some wrong information, they should not try to interrupt and correct, because they will have plenty of time later on in order to offer information to help the other group to correct their perceptions. What happens is that uh, when you listen to the other group telling of their suffering, you recognize that on the other side, they have suffered exactly the same kind of suffering that your side has gone through. Fear, anger, uh, 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 suspicion, and so on. And when you listen like that, you suddenly become aware that uh, on the other group, they are just like you, human beings, who have suffered exactly the same kind of suffering. In the past, you think that only on your side there is suffering. The other side only causes you suffering. They don't suffer. Now you realize that on the other side they have suffered exactly like uh, your side. And to see them suffer like that, suddenly you find out that they are human beings like uh, you are. And you are not angry at them anymore. Suddenly you find compassion arising in your heart. And when you have seen their suffering, suddenly you suffer less. You don't, you don't have any more the intention to, to punish. And understanding of the suffering have the nectar of compassion to be born in your heart. And suddenly you find yourself looking at them with the eyes of compassion. And when you look at them like that, 
You don't suffer anymore. Instead, you want to do something, to say something, to help them suffer less. So transformation and healing just take place right away during the session of uh, deep listening. You know that uh, you have a chance to tell them of your suffering also later on. So you don't hurry, you don't, uh, you are not too eager to correct them uh, uh, right now during the time of uh, deep listening. So after uh, a few weeks of practice like that, the miracle of reconciliation takes place. And you can see uh, Palestinians and Israelis holding hands during walking meditation. And uh, on the last day of the retreat, they, they came together as one group and report to the larger Sangha about the result of uh, the fruits of their uh, practice. They thank the Sangha because many of us who are not Israelis and Palestinians, we came and attend sessions of uh, deep listening in, in order to support them. And they always uh, promise to the Sangha that when they go back to the Middle East, they go organize retreats like that so that other people can come and practice and suffer less. I think if uh, the United Nations uh, organize uh, peace talks, the way you organize um, <laughs> deep listening and loving speech, they will have more success uh, in bringing uh, um, reconciliation uh, to warring parties. When warring parties come to the uh, negotiation table, they should not uh, negotiate right away. (laughs) 
because each warring party has a lot of doubt, anger, fear in them. And negotiating with these kind of mental formation is not easy. So the first week may be um, devoted to the practice of uh, breathing, walking, sitting, calming, and so on. And if uh, we give them a chance to listen to each other in the way of the fourth um, mindfulness training, and then the mutual understanding will be possible to serve as a ground for successful uh, peace uh, negotiations. And if the United Nations do not have people who who know to organize that kind of practice, we are ready to come and help. (laughs) And that is what uh, they told uh, uh, a meeting in UNESCO about um, setting up a peace institute. And train people who know how to organize peace negotiations in that way. I have the conviction that if uh, this um, method uh, work for groups of people, and they they should work uh, for couple also between partner and partner, um, father and son, mother and daughter. And if we practice as a Sangha, and then we have uh, we will have uh, brothers and sisters in the Dharma to come and support us in the practice of uh, listening and uh, loving speech uh, to help uh, restore communication and uh, bring about uh, reconciliation. Suppose I uh, draw a line from left to right. Mm-hmm. 
And the land represents uh, the course of time. Uh, this is the direction of the past, and this is the direction of the future. And uh, if I pick uh, a point called uh, B, and this point uh, represents uh, birth, the birth of a person. And naturally, a person only begins from point B. Uh, before the point B, uh, he or she did not exist. And the segment ending with B represents uh, non-being. And that person begins to exist only starting from B. And the section beginning with B uh, is called uh, being. And a person may live uh, 100 years, more or less. (laughs) And he or she will have to come to a point called D, death. And uh, from point D, he does not exist anymore, and he passed from the realm of being into the realm of non-being again. And that is the way we think of birth and death, and being and non-being. And according to the Buddha, that is not right view, that is wrong view. Let us uh, speak about uh, a cloud and the birth of a cloud. Can we conceive the birth of a cloud? Do we believe that a cloud has come from the realm of non-being into the realm of being?
and both in Buddhism and science, we know that a cloud has not come from nothing. From nothing, you cannot become something. How can non-being become being? Before expressing herself in the form of a cloud, the cloud had been something else, like the water in the ocean, the heat generated by the sun. Suppose we look uh, in this Dharma hall, we don't see any cloud. But in fact, a cloud is there. Uh, we have been breathing in, breathing out, and we have created a cloud in this Dharma hall, even if it is invisible. We know that in the air here, there is a lot of water vapor. And you cannot see the, the gas, you cannot see the water vapor. When the, the, when the water vapor meets something cold, it becomes visible as fog and cloud. Suppose there is a, a mountain here and the air is blown in this direction, the wind. And when the, the air meets with uh, the mountain, it cannot continue like this, it has to go up like this. So it's cold up here. That is why when the, when the air, when the water vapor meet the cold here, it becomes visible as cloud. The same cloud is invisible down here. So it is not true to say that a cloud begins here. And uh, the moment you see the manifestation of the cloud is not the beginning of the cloud. Uh, it is a moment of continuation.
the water vapor continues in a new form we call cloud. And that is why we can we can say that you can say that uh, the true nature of the cloud is nature of no birth. Because uh, as far as our thinking is, is uh, concerned, we think uh, to be born means from nothing, you suddenly become something. From no one, you suddenly become someone. When we were conceived in the womb of our mother, uh, we have not come from nothing. We come half from our mother and half from our father. We have not come from nothing. So the moment of birth, our birth written on the birth certificate is not really the moment of birth, it's a moment of continuation. Before we were born, we already existed in the womb of our mother at least nine months. And even the moment of conception is not the beginning. Because before that moment, we already existed half in our father, half in our mother. And when we come to point D, when we don't see our beloved cloud anymore in the sky, we think that our cloud is dead. But uh, how could a cloud die? It is impossible for a cloud to die. A cloud can become snow or rain or hell, but uh, a cloud cannot become nothing. And the same thing is true with a human being or any other kind of being. We know that uh, during our daily life we produce energies like a thought, speech, and action. 
and that is our continuation. The cessation of this uh, body, the desintegration of this body, does not mean death. And when you don't see the cloud in the form of a cloud, you cannot say that the cloud has passed from the realm of being into the realm of non-being. So when you drink your tea mindfully, you may see that your your cloud is still there in the tea. So the person that uh, that we love uh, now, she may not be there anymore in the form we used to see her. She is not. She has not really died. She is now in her new uh, manifestation, but we are not able to recognize her. When you don't see your cloud in the sky, you may like to to cry, but uh, the rain, which is the continuation of a cloud, is calling you, darling, darling, I'm still here. Don't you see me? The first law of uh, thermodynamics say the same thing. You cannot create matter or energy out of nothing. You can never reduce matter or energy into nothing. You can transform, you can transfer energies, but you cannot destroy make energy just disappear. So the first uh, law of thermodynamics uh, agree that there is no real birth and no real death. And uh, Lavoisier, the French uh, scientist, he said, Rien ne se crée, rien ne se perd. Mm-hmm. 
nothing is born, nothing dies. To se transforma. A cloud, a cloud cannot die. A cloud can only be transformed into the rain or into the snow. And that applies not only to the cloud, it applies to everything, including human beings. And uh, um, if uh, we meditate deeply enough, we will be able to touch our true nature, the nature of no birth and no death. So uh, the notion of being, uh, of birth and death, are just notions, ideas. They cannot be applied to reality. And that is a point uh, of agreement between uh, the wisdom of uh, the Buddha and science. And if we we can remove uh, the this couple of notions, birth and death, we can also remove at the same time the notion of being and non-being. Because uh, of the notion of birth, that is why we have the notion of non-being and being. And when we are able to remove the notion of birth and death, we remove at the same time the notion of being and non-being. And we can say that uh, to be or not to be, that is no longer the question. That is why the Buddha said that uh, right view is a view that is free from the notion of being and non-being.
in order to help uh, people getting out of the notion of being, the Buddha invented the expression interbeing. The Sanskrit is Sahabu. You cannot be by yourself alone. You have to interbe with all of us. And intellectually, you can understand that already. Let us look into this flower. When we look deeply into the flower, we discover the truth that a flower is made only of non-flower elements. There is a cloud in the flower. We know that if there is no cloud, there will be no rain and no flower can grow. So H2O is in the, in the flower, that is a non-flower element. Another non-flower element is uh, sunshine. We know that without sunshine, no flower can grow either. And sunflower, is, uh, sunshine is a non-flower element. And there is the element, uh, the soil inside of the flower. And the soil is also not a flower, a non-flower element. Time, space, the gardener are also found in the flower. They are non-flower elements. And if we continue to look deeply into the flower, we will see that the whole cosmos have come together to produce this flower. And we can conclude that a flower is made only of non-flower elements. And if we take these non-flower elements and send them to the source, the flower can no longer be there. And also, 
and you know that a flower cannot be by herself alone. A flower has to interbe with the whole cosmos. And when you touch the nature of interbeing, you can get out of uh, the notion of being. And when you are free from the notion of being, you are at the same time free from the notion of non-being. Because being and non-being are a pair of opposites. If there is being, there should be also non-being. If there is left, there is always right. If there is the above, there should always be the below. So, if a, a theologian tells us that God is the ground of being, we see something not satisfying at all. If God is the ground of being, who will be the ground of non-being? God, the ultimate reality, should transcend both notions, beings, and non-beings. And you cannot describe God in terms of being and non-being because God transcends both notions. So if uh, you cannot describe uh, your cloud in terms of being and non-being, how can you describe uh, God in terms of being and non-being? So when you say God exists, that is wrong. And when you say that God does not exist, it's equally wrong. Because God transcends both notions of being and non-being. And that is why when uh, Katyayana that monk came to the Buddha and asked for a definition of right view. The Buddha said right view is a kind of insight of the ultimate truth that is free from both notion being and non-being. Sein, 
Suppose we observe uh, a wave on the surface of uh, the ocean. <clears throat> and in the appear in the on the appearance, you see uh, the beginning of a wave and the ending of a wave. You see the coming up of the wave and going down of the wave. And uh, the life of a wave is uh, short. And there may be some joy when the wave is coming up. And there may be some there may be some anxiety and fear when the wave is going down. But the wave, uh, because the wave uh, may be afraid of the moment when she is no longer there, she will pass from the realm of being into the realm of non-being. But uh, a wave can practice uh, meditation. She can go back to herself and realize that she is made of water. She is a wave, but she is also water. The notion of uh, beginning, ending, going up and go, going down applied only to the wave and does not apply to water. The moment when the wave realizes that she is water, she is free from all these notions, beginning, ending, going up, going down. And when she's free from the notion of uh, beginning, ending, and then she enjoys coming up, she enjoys going down, no fear at all. So all these notions are the foundation of fear and suffering. The notion of being and non-being, the notion of birth and death, and other notions, they are the ground of our suffering, our fear, our anger, and our discrimination. And it's wonderful that uh, modern science has also discovered the nature of no birth and no death of, uh, of uh, reality.
There are four pairs of opposite as um, that we can that can serve as the objects of our meditation. Birth, death, being, non-being. Coming, going. Sameness, otherness. When you meditate uh, on the five-year-old child, we may ask the question whether we are the same person with the five-year-old child. We still have our picture when we, are, when we were five-year-old. And the question is that, am I the same person with that baby with that little girl, little boy, or I am a different person. I have grown up to be a lady, to be a gentleman. I am so different from the five-year-old boy or girl. So you and the five-year-old, you are the same? Uh, are you the same with uh, that uh, child? Or are you a totally different one? And the Buddhist answer is that you are neither the same nor a different person. And the technical term in Buddhism is the midway. The midway is a way that transcends both pairs, both uh, notions. No birth, no death, no being, no non-being, no sameness, no otherness. And there is another pair of opposites.
And you may like to ask the little flame, my dear little flame, where have you come from? When you are in love with someone, you may ask the same kind of question. Darling, you are such a wonderful creature. Where have you come from? And if uh, we listen with mindfulness, we can hear the answer. The flame will tell us something like this. Dear Thay, dear Sangha, I have come from nowhere. I have not come from the south. I have not come from the north. I have not come from the east or the west either. When conditions are sufficient, I manifest like that. My nature is no coming, non-local. And you might, we might miss uh, our little flame. We might ask, uh, dear, my dear little flame, where have you been? Have you gone? I miss you. <laughs> and then the flame will say, dear Teddy Sangha, I have not gone anywhere. I I have not gone to the south, not gone to the north. When conditions are no longer sufficient, I don't manifest in that way anymore. I manifest otherwise. So the nature of the flame is nature of non-coming, non-going. It's like the notion of being and non-being. The notion of coming and going cannot be applied to anything, including our flame or our beloved one.
time for walking meditation. <laughs> so we continue after tomorrow. Tomorrow there will be a question and answer session.